Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 9. We're continuing on verse by verse through this very interesting prophetical book. And we are in the midst of the five woes. This is the second of the five woes that God is pronouncing against the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. And herein we're learning just how wicked those kings were, the kings of Babylon, and also the people of Babylon in general, had, they shared these same problems, but especially their king. And then we can also learn from this the general description of any wicked man and how God looks upon those wicked things. So verse number nine, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. And then he's going to tell us specifically what that is, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Now, the first thing I want to address in that verse, it speaks about an evil covetousness. When you have to put the adjective evil on it, it almost makes you wonder, is there such a thing as a good covetousness? Because we know in the book of Exodus, the last of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. But then, why then would we need a, a description of covetousness? Isn't it all evil? Hold your place here and turn over quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to show you here, there's actually a good version of coveting. To covet something means to desire it. I think in Afrikaans, you guys help me out here, when we say something like ekes lis verdit, ekes lis ver of vier vandag, right? It's a, you know, I need a, I need a fire. Uh, that, that's desire. Is that anywhere close to the word covet in Afrikaans? Is that a different thing? Bahia, Bahia. All right, just B-E-G-E-E-R, Bahir. Okay, I got to roll the R at the end, Bahir. Oh, man, that's all that tough Afrikaans bits in one word, Bahir. <laughs> First Corinthians, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it like an American, Bagheer. <laughs> Mooney Bagheerney. <laughs> First Corinthians 12, and let's get, oh, my pages are sticking a little, verse 31. Right at the end of the chapter, Paul has been speaking about spiritual gifts. He says in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And that way, of course, is going to be love in the next chapter. But you can see here, covet earnestly. It's a command to covet the best things, in this case, the best spiritual gifts. So it's maybe God is using you and has gifted you, given you certain abilities and that's fine, but you can actually add to that. You can grow in your ability to serve. And Paul says you should desire that. You, sh you should have that. And he uses the word covetous, right, or covet. Now, when you get the command in Exodus chapter 20, God is careful to spell out the kind of things you shouldn't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, his land, his servant, his ox, his donkey, all of that, right? So it, it tells you what kind of coveting we're talking about there, being greedy and envious of what he has, and then you just want everything he has. Here, you actually want or desire something that would be helpful to other people. It's not a selfish type of greed. All right, so come back to Habakkuk chapter 2. In verse 9, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. It's all about him. I mentioned it last week. 
that no matter how much this man obtained, he always wanted more. He was insatiable. In the book of Proverbs chapter 23, we would say that this is a man given to appetite. Do you guys remember what that man should do? It says if you're a man given to appetite, what, what should you do? Do you guys remember? But that's it. Put a knife to your throat because that is one of the more dangerous things that can happen to you when you become insatiable and enough is never enough. And no matter how much you get, you always want more. That's a dangerous person to be around. Uh, would you hold your place here momentarily? Get Isaiah chapter 53. I want to show you the most satisfying thing you'll ever come across. Isaiah 53. Nebuchadnezzar and the kings that followed him, the general attitude, you might even say, of the Babylonians, they wanted honor from every single person on the planet. And if that person would not willingly give them honor, then they would beat it out of them. They would beat that other nation into submission and say, now you're going to give me respect and honor. No matter how much honor he got, he always wanted more. And if somebody didn't give him honor, he would kill and destroy so that the remaining people would be so afraid they would bow down in fear and say the words of respect and honor to that king. Isaiah 53, let's begin reading in verse 10. You know this is a messianic chapter. It's all about Jesus. In verse 10 it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, speaking of the resurrection. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul. This is God the Father speaking about what he saw in his son. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be what? satisfied. God looked down at that and said, now that's good enough. The offering he made to pay for the sins of our souls, he said, that's enough. And I think we should also find satisfaction in the same thing. When we look at how much God loved us, that he sent his son for us, what more could we ask for? Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, on the other hand, no matter how much they obtained, they sat around wondering how much more could we get? Now come back to Habakkuk and in chapter 2 verse 9 in the middle it says that he may set his nest on high. He wants to elevate himself. Now we can almost read this in a physical sense. He wants to fortify his position. He wants to live on the top of a hill with great tall walls around him so that no evil can get to him. Let me be careful to point out there's nothing wrong with self-defense or protecting your home. Okay, you might read this and maybe think about uh, feeling guilty that you're trying to protect yourself from the power of evil. There's, there's nothing wrong with hiding because evil is pursuing you. Right? The, the Bible tells us this in the book of Proverbs. The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Right? So there's wisdom in that. There's obviously all through the scripture, you'll read about, especially the Old Testament, there are various wars that happen. To prepare your home and your homeland to protect itself is not sinful. God commanded that on many occasions. There's even one smaller way you can see this. In the book of Deuteronomy, God commanded the Israelites that when they built a house, they had to build a, a battlement a, a, along the top of the roof and of course they had flat roofs in those days but you had to build a, a bit of a let's call it a protective fence or barrier 
because people would go on the roof to sit and have tea and fellowship and care and things like that. And if you don't have that battlement around, somebody might fall off the top of the house. So the idea of protecting yourself, that's just common sense. There's nothing wrong with that. So it's one thing to protect yourself from evil. It's a completely different thing to be protecting yourself because you are evil. And that's Nebuchadnezzar's concern. He knows he deserves judgment. He knows that if he got what he deserved, anybody that came by would try to destroy him. He was worthy of that. So he thought, well, I know I'm a bad man, so let me elevate my nest as, as high as it will go so that no evil will touch me. And his idea of self-defense is let me protect myself from what I actually deserve. And that's a different subject altogether. That's not self-defense as we would normally talk about it. Take your Bible, if you would, and come to Proverbs chapter 23. Again, hold Habakkuk. We'll be right back to it. Proverbs 23. And let's, uh, I'm sorry, I said 23. Get 28, I'm sorry. Proverbs 28 and verse number 13. The best and only true way to protect yourself from the evil that you've done, listen, is to repent. You can run, you can hide, you can lie about it, you can try to pretend it wasn't your fault, you can play the victim card, you can blame society, you can... You can make up any excuse you want, but at the end of the day, judgment will fall on that evil deed. There is no hiding from it. The only way to properly deal with a guilty conscience is to repent. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. You'll never get ahead. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the only way to protect yourself from the evil that you've done. And specifically for us, we know that Jesus died for those evil things. We confess to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this great mercy and kindness that you've shown me, but I accept what you did for me. And by your grace and because of what you've done, I want to forsake those evil things and never go back to them. There's where you find mercy, at the foot of the cross. So come back to Habakkuk once again. Let me show you a bit of a progression here. And we might get time to look at this later on, but maybe those of you that take notes, you can just jot this down. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 down to 15. You might remember that passage, actually, just off the top of your head. How art thou, O Lucifer, fallen from heaven? You remember that? You know what he goes on to say? I will ascend to the stars. I will put my throne above the Most High. I will be like the Most High. He, he's trying to exalt himself above God. Why? He knows he deserves to be punished. So he says, the only way I can avoid punishment is if I overthrow God and get higher than him. I have to obtain all authority in the universe to avoid being punished. And if you think about it, you actually see this in like gangs and the mafia and things like that. They know they deserve to be punished. So in order to avoid punishment, they have to climb the ranks of secular authority and, and take, they, they put little, let's call them spies, in the government and they buy off a government official and right, they put moles here and there and that way they can pull the strings to avoid punishment. Now Habakkuk, watch the progression here. 
Habakkuk 2, look at verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. What got lifted up? The man's soul. So all of this idea about let me avoid punishment, and even though deep down he knows he deserves it, let me try to put off the inevitable, it starts with him getting lifted up in his soul. There's an internal lifting up, and that leads to this idea of an external, let me lift my nest above everything else. There's a bit of a progression that goes on there. I think, well, let me not say I think, I know, one of the most dangerous things you could ever do, and probably the strongest barrier you'll ever put between yourself and God is pride. As soon as you start getting lifted up in your own mind, in your own soul, you can never get as far away from God as you are when you're lifted up with pride. You'll see it as we continue to go. Verse 10, thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. Let's pay attention for a moment to that word consulted. Nebuchadnezzar and the kings that followed would sit around making plans, taking advice from others, consulting. That's what it is, to get advice, listening. Tell me, how can we overtake these people? How can we make ourselves great? How can we become the chief nation on earth? How can we become our version of successful? Be very careful about the advice you get from people and who who you seek to get advice from. Nebuchadnezzar was not doing this independently. He had help. There were people that he would go to, let's call them yes men, that would tell the king whatever he wanted to hear. Even though it might have been a wicked and a bad plan, and he didn't think of it as shame, right? He thought of it as glory. The more people we conquer, the greater we are. This shows our strength. God's opinion of it was, you are actually getting advice to make yourself look bad. I always, when I think of getting advice, I think of Rehoboam. You guys remember his story in 1 Kings chapter 12? He had just taken the throne. Jeroboam comes and says, hey, if you will loosen up a little bit, your dad, towards the end of his life, Solomon, was very tough on us, loosen up a bit. And we will serve you in your house, and we'll all get along, be just fine, and we'll serve God together and on they would have went. Rehoboam heard them out, and then he goes to the older men. And there's an interesting, can I show it to you? Look at 1 Kings 12. I want want you to see this interesting little tidbit. I think sometimes we maybe just jump over this because we read it a bit quickly, but it's, I I think it's important to the story. So it's in 1 Kings chapter 12 and then verse number 6. 1 Kings 12, 6, and King Rehoboam consulted, there's that word, consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer this people? Notice that Rehoboam put a little distance between himself and those old men, right? You old men, give me advice. I'm going to go answer the people. So you know what they said. They said, listen to what Jeroboam has to say. Solomon was too tough. We know, we were there. Loosen up. Be, be a, 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 I want to say congenial, be, be a nice king to them. And things will go better in this kingdom. Verse eight, but he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and 
which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people? Do you notice the difference there? Now he says, I'm one of you. He already had in his mind which group he was a part of. He knew that these old men, you guys, you're the old guard. You're, you're going to give advice that I'm probably not on board with. He already had his mind made up what he wanted to do. He just went around looking for advice until he found somebody that would tell him what he wanted to hear. And I think Nebuchadnezzar would fall into the same vein. Come back to Habakkuk 2 again. In verse number 10, Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people. And has sinned against thy soul. Now in his mind, he was becoming great. In God's mind, he was becoming worse and worse. With each victory, he was becoming more and more defeated, sinning against his own soul. You know, you find this uh, several, many times with people when they start off in a career, especially you see this in show business. You know, they start off and they're a bit humble. They're so, they feel so privileged to have that opportunity to perform but then as soon as they get a bit of fame, it's the same in politics, by the way. It's the same in some pulpits as well. Pastor starts off and, you know, he's, he's humble about his approach. But then as he starts to gather a crowd, he all of a sudden thinks he can do no wrong. He starts to sin against his own soul. That pride begins to sneak in there in a big way. And he starts to demand. He, gets, he likes the feeling of all of this honor and respect from people. The fear that he generates. And he begins to force it. What once was freely given, the respect freely given, now he's, he's become drunk with that. He's addicted to it. And he'll do anything. He'll compromise. He'll say anything so that he continues to retain his popularity. Famous people start off sometimes. You enjoy what they do as a profession and they're acting or they're singing or they're preaching, whatever it is. You, man, I, I like that. But then it goes to their head and they become intolerable. It becomes unbearable to hear them. I, Forgive me, some of you might like the guy. I listened to Trevor Noah years ago when I first visited South Africa to just survey the land back in 2011. And I, he was so funny. I literally fell off the bed laughing. I was on the bed and I, I, I was rolling in laughter and wham, hit the ground. Trevor Noah almost killed me, right? You've heard the phrase, he killed me with laughter. He almost killed me with laughter. That floor was hard, <laughs> bam. But now I can't stand to hear him for about 30 seconds. Good grief. I, ha I haven't heard a funny thing come from him in a long time. Now, that's my opinion. You're welcome to your own opinion. But, but it seems to me that he has become so political. And he's driving a certain political agenda. That it's, it's just no longer funny. It, it, he's being so blatant about what he's trying to do. It's no longer uh, let me tell jokes and make you laugh and try to help you with laughter because that's, that's a helpful thing. But now it's an undercurrent of, you know, div division and po uh, politics. It's just not funny anymore, I, I think. My opinion, it's gone to his head. We see this in, in Nebuchadnezzar in a big way. Do you remember the story in Daniel 3? He builds the golden image. And then he says, when you hear the music, everybody in every province Everybody has to bow down and worship. Look at how now he is forcing the people, you have to give me respect. It's not a matter of, king, you're a good man and you've earned our respect. Nebuchadnezzar says, you have to, and if you don't respect me, you go in the fire. 
Whew. That's, that's really brutal. But see, it, it had gone to his head. We see at the end of verse 10, he had sinned against his soul. This is, again, Nebuchadnezzar, we turn to him as the example because in Daniel 4, I mentioned the passage last week. Again, I'm going to show it to you. Let me ask you to turn to Daniel 4. I don't think we looked at it last week. I just mentioned it. Daniel chapter 4, and let's get verse number 30. Daniel 4 and 30. So the prophet has explained this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had about the tree being cut down. He warned him, break off your sins by righteousness. In verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Verse 30, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might, uh, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar, why'd you build a great kingdom? Not so that the citizens of Babylon could have happy, prosperous, and uh, healthy lives. Nothing like that. Look at what I did all this for me. You might think, well, that golden image that he built, you know, he wants the people to worship his version of God. And he did, but it's more than that. Just flip back to Daniel 3 now that I have you here. Let me, let me show you what he got so upset about. Daniel 3, verse 12. So some of his men come back to him, said, you know, there's some Jews not listening to what you said. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in, a, in his rage and fury, commanded, bring these men. The first thing on the list, it had nothing to do with Neb's God. It was just Neb. How dare, I made a command and you're not going to listen to me. It's all about him. Let's come back to Habakkuk. Guys, I, I've mentioned it earlier. Let me mention it again. Pride might be the greatest barrier you can put between yourself and God. I think second to that would be public opinion. When public opinion, that is the honor of men, when you desire the praise of men more than the praise of God, I don't know if anything could hinder you more than, and those two things go together, right? Pride and popularity. They, they feed. The one feeds off of the other. Dangerous. And I, I don't want you to be afraid of receiving a compliment. The Bible says, let another man praise thee, not thine own lips. A stranger, not thine own mouth. There's nothing wrong with receiving an, uh, a compliment or being encouraged because you've done something right. You can actually receive that. You don't have to always deflect it and go, oh, no, 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 it was just God, it was just God. You did something right. It's okay to say thank you. I, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. That's okay. That's, that's not proud. You do have to be careful. Take heed that those type of compliments don't become the motivation for your actions. This is precisely what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 6 when he said, when you give, don't blow the trumpet so that other men can see it. When you pray, shut the door. Go and pray, pray to the Father in secret. When you fast, don't fix your face up so that everybody knows you're fasting. Just do it because it's right. Now, the fact that some people see the light that is shining from you and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, because of it, praise God when that happens. 
as long as attention and honor from men does not become the reason you do things. Uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 11. Habakkuk 2 and verse 11. It says, For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber, I'm sorry, and the beam out of the timber, yes, shall answer it. So he talks about the stone shall cry out. You know, Jesus mentioned something like that one time. As he came into Jerusalem, riding on that donkey, and the people were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, the king of Israel, has arrived. And they're putting palm branches down and putting their garments uh, in the path, treating Jesus as royalty and worthily. And the Pharisees said, tell your disciples to quiet down. He said, if I, if I do, the rocks will surely cry out. The stones will cry out with praise. I really wish the people would have quieted down. <laughs> Right, I, that would have been tremendous to hear the rocks going, yay! <laughs> that would have been tremendous. But here we see not in a positive way, but of course in a, in a condemning way, verse 11, the stone shall cry out of the wall. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar obtained those stones through wicked means. That the beams of timber, they were stolen out of foreign lands. People murdered to obtain these things, to build his beautiful palace. You might think of it as blood diamonds, abusive means to get a beautiful thing done or achieved or obtained. These walls, have you ever heard that phrase, if these walls could speak? Now, what do you think Nebuchadnezzar's walls would be saying? Here's this king that walks into the house and tugs on his jacket and says, man, look at me. Look at this great Babylon and this house that I've built. I am truly something special. All I have to do is snap my fingers and the whole nation, not just this one, but multiple nations falls down and begins to worship. I can command that people be thrown into the fire and they are. I can do as I want. I am my own master and the walls are talking to each other going, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> he's talking as if he's God. He has no idea. Listen to the kind of things this, this guy is saying. And the stone talks to the wood and says, do you really think this house was worth killing other people for? Imagine if those walls could talk. If they, because those walls, they, they could hear all of the plans that Nebuchadnezzar was making. The walls might be crying out going, don't do that. Don't do that. That's a horrible plan. I wonder what your walls would say. If we go talk to the walls this week, what would the walls say? There's a chance that not even your spouse knows as much as the walls. There's a chance that your children do not know as much as the rafters in your home. What would they say about you? Maybe they would drum up a conversation, the wall to the rafter and say, I wonder why this guy's sitting around so much. And he sure is here a lot. There's a lot of work to get done out there, but he seems to sit around here quite a bit. You know, he's seen this show on Netflix 20 times, but we haven't seen him crack his Bible once. I wonder if the walls could speak what they would say. 
They might, they might have something very simple to say like, you know, shame, his kids are outside playing and he's inside streaming something on YouTube. I wonder why he won't go play with his kids. I wonder if the walls would say, there goes that man storming out the door and he doesn't see that his wife is back in that bedroom with tears rolling down her face because her husband just won't come right. The walls saw it, but maybe the man didn't. I wonder if the walls would say, man, every time this guy comes in the house, and, and unless you think I'm picking on the men, please, in your mind, flip this around if you need to. But I wonder if the walls would say, every time this guy steps in the house, he's always angry. Every single time. We haven't heard him once be thankful that he actually has a house to walk into. All he does is complain about the stones and the timber and who built it and how much it costs to build and how much it costs to keep it up and how his kids won't keep it clean and his wife doesn't do this and that is just nonstop complaining and anger. Why? The walls are scratching their proverbial head, their metaphorical head going, why? This guy has walls. This guy has a ceiling, a roof over his head. Why is he like this? The stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. So the stone would be putting forth the question, you see, and the timber answers it. Why is he like this? We'll tell you why. Why is he sitting around? Why, why and for the, those of you watching from home and YouTube, why isn't he at church? It's a fair question. And, and those of you watching at home, I know that there's some good reasons you could be at home. So don't, don't get too excited about that comment. But the walls might be asking that question. The stones might be asking why. There is a biblical command to assemble. There's a reason for that. And yet he constantly comes up with an excuse not to obey that biblical command. Rather than me trying to act as the timber and answer that question, maybe the Holy Spirit can tap on your heart and say, we have some questions for you and here's why you're not living up to these certain biblical commands. Maybe it's time for you to also listen to what the stones and the timber has to say. Maybe it's time to take a long look at how you've gotten to where you are in life. It would have done Nebuchadnezzar a lot of good. Sit around. Rather than looking at this great Babylon that I've built, look at this life I've built. Man, I'm doing so well, I had to tear down barns and build bigger barns. You know what God called that man? He said, thou fool, the things you've laid up, whose shall those things be when you stop breathing. You're rich towards the world, you're rich towards yourself, but you're poor towards God. Your treasures have been laid up on earth. Now look around at this great Babylon you've built, this kingdom that you have built for yourself. Did you do it in a right way? Did you do it for God's glory? Are you using it for His purposes or your own? 
I think if there's something we learn from this one woe, verses 9, 10, and 11, I think it would be that. Building up your own kingdom, setting your nest way up on high, doing it by whatever means necessary, thinking that, listen, if everybody bows down and gives me honor, then I must be okay. You've got to understand that public opinion and God's opinion are very rarely the same opinion. You can have the praise of all the men in your society and it means nothing in the economy of heaven. Can we end off on this thought? Can I turn you to John chapter 12, please? This is something we're actually going to talk about tonight in Bible school. So for some of you, you'll get a double dose. John 12, and let's take a quick look at verse number 42. 42 and 43. God said in Habakkuk, woe to him. Woe to him. Now that him was a specific him, the king of Babylon. But God used a pronoun. So woe to him. That could be any him that fits that description. John 12 and verse 42, nevertheless among the chief rulers also, Many believed on him, that is on Jesus. Now stop right there, is that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing? Many of the chief rulers, right? Among the chief rulers, many believed on him. They couldn't deny the claims he was making. He had the evidence. I mean, it was pretty obvious. He, he was who he says he was. Every time they raised an objection, he had the right answer. The rulers knew but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. When they walked into the synagogue, you know what happened as a chief ruler? They get a chief seat. They get to sit right up there in the front next to the minister where everybody can see him. As they would walk in, people would bow and nod the head and salute and say, oh, great master and so on and so forth. These great swelling titles. When they walked into the synagogue, when they walked through town, when they went into their homes, they had this sense of pride, this achievement, and they didn't want to give that up. They knew if we say one word that sounds agreeable to Jesus, we will lose all of the honor from men. We will be the public outcasts. This would not only affect them, let's say, emotionally, right? They'll no longer be proud and big in their own minds, but it would also affect them, can we say financially, physically? They might lose their job. They'll lose their position. They'd lose their paycheck. They'd lose their home. Just, you think about this in your mind, which, which is the right decision? Confess Jesus, walk with him, be his follower, have honor from God, or hang on to that life you built by achieving and, and, let's say, being successful at the world's rat race. If I just pull the right strings and know the right people and shake the right hands and cut the right corners, I'll be a big shot. At the end of the day, what have you accomplished? In verse 43, 
Why would they not give up that place in the synagogue? Why would they not confess him? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I think that's what it comes down to. That's the decision we all have to make. Who am I trying to please today? By coming today to church, have I come to be seen of men or am I here to be seen of God and to see God? Rather than consulting with people that will tell you what you want to hear, find some friends that will help you get closer to God. That will be honest with you because they love you and say, you know what, you've built these great big walls around you. But man, if those walls could talk, it wouldn't be a compliment. Amen. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed just quickly. Let's pray and then we'll let you guys, I would say go outside and fellowship in the sunlight. You're welcome to go outside and fellowship, but it may be just as cold out there. Father, thank you for this uh, time to look through the scripture. And Lord, I, I don't want my walls to talk. Lord, I, I'm rather, I'm going to take the advice of Proverbs and just uh, confess and forsake and say, God, help me to do better. Lord, we seek today to just make you happy, to please you. We're certainly not going to achieve anything in the eyes of the public by doing what we're doing today. Lord, let it be our singular goal in this church to elevate and exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what our friends and neighbors think, we just want him to be lifted up. Father, bless our service to come and let the things we've heard sink down deep into our hearts and souls. In Jesus' name, amen.